We can measure time, but we cannot measure loss. As a free society, we have an obligation to never forget the sacrifice of those fallen officers and their families. Their memories must never be forgotten. On May 15th, we will gather on the West Front of the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C. to honor our fallen brothers and sisters of law enforcement who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Attended by thousands and televised on C-SPAN for the world to see, the National Fraternal Order of Police will host its annual National Peace Officers Memorial Service. Planning for this event is a year-long labor of love for a small army of selfless volunteers. Today, we're joined by Glenda Lehman, President of the National Fraternal Order Police Auxiliary Board. In extension of the National Fraternal Order Police, the Auxiliary works hand-in-hand with concerns of police survivors during the week-long events that make up Police Week in Washington, D.C. I am Patrick Eos, National President of Fraternal Order Police. This is The Blue View. Well, Glenda, thanks for joining us on The Blue View. Uh, you know, you've been here before, but uh, some of our viewers and listeners may not uh, may not know you. So how about telling them a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm the national president for the uh, FOP Auxiliary. Uh, I've been involved with the FOP a little over 30 years. Uh, got involved when I met my husband, who was active in the FOP, and it just kind of became a way of life, if you will. And for us, it was more about making sure that we were supporting um, not only the law enforcement officers in his agency, but being able to support law enforcement and their families uh, across the country. And so I've just spent a lot of time on a local, state, and national level being involved in different programs, um, whether that was for benefits, whether that was for better working environments for the officers, or just making sure that as the officers were going through different types of uh, events or experiences that we were there to support the families because when that officer goes through those types of things, the families are also going through those types of things. So for me, it was being able to be involved with other people that um, experienced the same types of things, understood kind of what I was going through as well as what our family was going through. And so working over the last 30 years with just being able to um, be a friend, but also be a support and making sure that we had peer support available uh, across the board and just growing the membership within the organization. So, so this is very much a a family business uh, and that's why the FOP has an auxiliary. But for for those that don't uh, know about the auxiliary, I know you've already, you know, kind of outlined exactly what they do, but tell us a little bit more about the auxiliary itself and and who who are the members and, and uh, what do they do across the country? Sure. So uh, we, while we're a nationally chartered organization, we do have um, auxiliaries across uh, the country. We have 105 local chapters that actually cover um, 26 states with uh, just local uh, chapters. But then we have additional, there's 25 states that actually have state uh, organizations. But the auxiliary in itself is open to any family member of an FOP member who is 18 years of age or older. So I think there's a lot of people that think that it's strictly just for spouses or just for wives, but it's actually any family member over the age of 18. And across the country, it's a number of different things. It's really supporting the law enforcement profession, but also the uh, fraternal order of police, whether that's through fundraising efforts because there are needs for members, whether it's from Uh, natural disasters or personal tragedies or incidences that happened during the line of duty. Um, It's also working towards um, 
better pay, better benefits, better working environments, um, making sure that there is support systems in place. Um, a lot of our uh, auxiliaries have started um, financial um, accounts or funds so that they can uh, have monies available to the officer or to the family in the event that there's something that happens in the line of duty, whether they're injured and just off work, whether they're um, disabled, whether there's a death. And so it's being able to put together programs to support them uh, in that regard as well. So it kind of runs through whatever the need is, happens to be for that group in that area, whether it's for that agency or for that FOP or for those members, it's being able to put programs and things together and quickly shifting, if you will, to make sure that we're providing that support when that support's needed. Yeah. So it's pretty much a, it, it's the personality of, of the, the chartering lodge. Uh, yes. if, if an FOP lodge would like an auxiliary, all they have to do is just reach out, contact you and, you know, help them get it chartered. And they, they basically work with that lodge. So each one looks different. Correct. Uh, and they're all doing things that are important in the local communities, uh, supporting that lodge. What, what I really want to talk to you about is uh, something that just blows me away. Uh, in all of my years in law enforcement, you know, this is, uh, you know, the Fraternal Order Police has hosted a memorial, a peace officer's memorial service on the lawn of the Capitol. And uh, what, an, uh, what an absolutely amazing event. And I think most people don't realize just how much work goes into the planning of doing an event that size. Uh, on any given uh, May 15th, we'll have 30, 40,000 people there at the Capitol honoring and showing respect to, to our fallen. Well, we we honor every law enforcement officer. And, and I guess what makes ours unique is that every family participates. They place a flower and they're presented with a medal and they, they have some involvement in it uh, so to, to, to function. But I think most people show up at this and uh, say, you know what, it just happens. But in reality, it is a small army. Uh, so it, doing is creating a series of uh, a podcast that break down some of the functions that are done. And then and a huge factor of this is what is done by the auxiliary. Uh, although they may be, have the personality of their local uh, lot host lodges across the country. In reality, they're a huge part of supporting a national effort to honor our fallen. So if you could just break it down a little bit on, on the auxiliary's role that they have in the planning of this small army that makes this happen uh, every year. Sure. So we have a dedicated committee that's uh, appointed that works uh, year round. Uh, they actually meet, start meeting for the following calendar year in September, and then they meet monthly after that. But they're looking at the scope of making sure that from a logistical standpoint, we're able to move anywhere from four to 6,000 family members who are coming in um, throughout um, the city. So getting them from their hotels, from where they are, uh, into the Capitol the day of the memorial service, and then making sure that that family that's going to participate and actually place the carnation for their loved one, um, that they have the experience from support staff uh, to help them walk through this process. Um, it's very emotional. And so for some people, it has been a, uh, a period of time since their um, loved one has passed away. And so it brings up new emotions or reopens some of them for others. It's actual closure, but for the auxiliary standpoint, it's making sure that we are there during the week to support them when they arrive into DC, answering questions for them about what to expect, what's going to happen uh, during that. 
Uh, we also work at registration. Uh, we partner with the COPS organization and making sure that we're registering all of the survivors that come in, making sure that they get registered in for the week, that they get the right credentials so that they um, are able to get to um, the memorial service and the other events that are happening that week. But in order to make that happen, our committee meets throughout the year and starts planning logistically on what hotels are going to be available for um, those individuals coming in, whether it's volunteers, whether it is the FOP members or the auxiliary members. Um, we work out the logistics of that and making sure that we have transportation available to move those volunteers as well around the city in order to make sure that they're in place as the event takes place. Um, in addition to that, we have a group that works um, with several other organizations and actually are reviewing the names as the names of the officers are submitted for consideration for the service. Um, so they actually um, meet to look at the research and the information that's done around that officer's death and determining whether that officer is qualified to actually be honored during the May 15th service. Um, they actually meet uh, year round and continuously looking at um, names that are submitted. So unfortunately, because the while we hope that there's one day that we never have to have a service, we recognize that unfortunately um, there is a need for it each year. So we want to make sure that we're honoring uh, our heroes and those law enforcement officers, and we want to make sure that we're providing a service that says to the family that we recognize your officer's sacrifice, we recognize your sacrifice as a family member, and we want them to know that their loved one is not forgotten and that um, we stand there to continue to support them. You know, I, uh, you know, I've coordinated a few things in my days, you know, as simple as simple as a vacation, trying to get just a family to go to one place and be in one place at the same time. And it's, but how many people did you say that you, that are moved by bus and brought in a specific location that they have to be in an order so that they can sit in a certain seat so they can be recognized at a certain time. How many? So it averages depending on um, the number of family members that come in, but it usually averages between four to 6,000 um, that we're moving. And so that includes the immediate family members that are participating in the service, as well as extended family members and coworkers and friends that are actually coming into the site uh, to be there to witness the actual service. And so it's coordinating moving them from uh, different hotels and making sure that uh, we have buses running from hotels down to the Capitol, buses running from hotels to our, our host hotel, and then getting them from the host hotel down to the Capitol, and then making sure that they all, again, get into the service area, and making sure that, in they're, exact location. that they're stay together. Because the most important thing is, is when that when your officer's name is read, is making sure that you're walking and placing the flower for your officer. Right. And that's the most important thing. Right. Yeah. It's a, I, I, I asked you just to repeat that because I, I you know, I want, I'd like for, for, uh, you know, our viewers and listeners to wrap their head around the fact that they, we're talking several thousand people that have to be on a specific bus sitting in a specific chair at a memorial service and, and, and moved at a certain time. So it could start at a certain time. And most of those buses have to go through security clearance before they can even get on a bus yes. because it's a secure area because uh, more often than not, the president of the United States speaks at this memorial service. That's a, that in itself is just amazing. 
You know, I've uh, I, I've had the uh, the honor, you know, for twenty plus years of being a board member of the National Fraternal Order of Police of, of of being one of the people who who have uh, toughest thing I do, but probably the most rewarding is to present a medal to families and uh, look look at the emotions that exist and just recognize that it it really comes down to, you know, here's a moment in time where these people will never forget every single word that's uttered and, and how it's done, and and that's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful that uh, that your small army uh, is responsible for that. And I uh, couldn't couldn't thank you enough. Uh, I, for years, I'd come to the service and people would pat me on the back and say, what a great job I did. And I didn't do anything. I showed up and handed out medals and, uh, and spoke to families. The work was done by by a whole lot of dedicated people. You know, you have your committee. Uh, but but in addition to the committee and auxiliary, this doesn't just happen with a handful of people. Uh, talk about the people who every year at their own cost, their own sacrifice, their own commitment, show up a uh, hundred of them uh, just on your portion, just to make sure that everything's in place. Talk about those unsung heroes that uh, show up because it's the right thing to do. So we do have volunteers that come every year. We've got volunteers that have been coming for 20 Um, 30 years participating and we always have new members that come but they come in um, at the beginning of the week and they're here to work all hours um, to get things together make sure programs are are together to make sure we have the blue ribbons so that the end of the service when they fly the blue ribbons that those are available to all of the families Um, they work all hours at each of the hotels and go out and help at the site. Um, they're available to be able to support the families the day of with riding the buses to be there to support them on the buses, um, helping us make sure that we get everyone into the site and again, seated in the right place. But for, I can tell you that most of the volunteers, they hear you talk about the service and they hear you talk about um, police week in DC But most volunteers, when they come for the very first time, are in such awe of exactly what happens and how it happens and um, the significance and the power of being able to say that you were a part of something so large, recognizing um, our heroes, that most every volunteer that has come in has always said, I will be back next year. And the majority of them do pay for the expenses. They take their own time. They pay their own expenses to come in order to to be here to support and give back. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm I'm always blown away by by just the uh, generosity of so many people. And uh, and you're right. I, I've I've often said people say, you know, I want to go to the memorial service. Or I want to be part of mo- memorial service. And I I give them a warning, and, and that warning is as well. I'm just going to go ahead and give you fair warning that uh, it's contagious. Uh, once you come, then you're, you're, you know, it's going to be a, it's probably be a life's quest after that. It's very rewarding to, to, to do so. And um, again, I'm, I'm in such awe to watch, watch so many people working uh, towards one common goal uh, in honoring, honoring fallen, making, making some, some sense out of the senseless uh, for, for a lot of families. Uh, just absolutely moving. Let's talk about this year's service. Uh, this year's service, I know the planning. Uh, is underway. How many uh, names are we anticipating this year being honored at our memorial service? Um, this year's memorial service, we will actually be reading 443 names uh, fallen. Um, when um, when we bring in the volunteers for that, we will actually have the uh, Medal of Honor brought in and we'll have volunteers that will hand inspect each one of those to ensure that um, 
they're in pristine condition, that the spelling is right, that everything is in place so that um, when those are actually presented to the families, um, they're presented without any flaws or any issues with those. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, even even down to uh, calling the names to make sure that they're pronounced right. Every Just the attention to every detail. It's a finely oiled machine that, yeah. uh, that uh, just does some great work. Our name readers um, take reading the names very seriously. Um, it's very um, honorable for them. And so they take the time throughout the week to meet with the families to make sure that they have the pronunciations correctly so that when the name is read, it's pronounced correctly or pronounced in um, whether it's a given name or whether it's an, uh, a nickname, however the family wants to hear that name read. But they spend the time to make sure that they uh, read it correctly. And Glenda, 443 names. That's that's a lot of names. You know, for years I've been coming and, and recognize those numbers have been climbing. Uh, you know, technology, ballistic technology uh, in, in, in medicine, modern medicine has really impacted the numbers. They, they went down at times, but then uh, we had a few events. 9-11 had a, a tremendous impact and, and now COVID. 443 names. Can you kind of break down who those 443 names uh, are? Yes. Yeah, so this year, um, I've got the breakdown with me. With This year with COVID, there was the largest um, group of um, officers, which was 205. The next uh, group was uh, those who uh, died due to gunshot-related uh, um, instances, which was 74. Um, we went we do have 9-11, uh, which was a total of 64 officers uh, related to 9-11, related uh, illnesses with that. 58 from automobile or motorcycle incidences. And then we had uh, 26 that are fall under the hometown heroes heart related. And then 15 are from other causes. And then we have one that's actually suicide. You know, I, uh, you hit a couple of categories there. I would imagine that the COVID, uh, since the COVID pandemic is, is passed, we'll see those num numbers drast drastically drop. But uh, 9-11 every year, uh, you know, people who work the pile, people who responded on 9-11 are dying in Ill of illnesses directly related to, to that uh, to that event. Um, it's probably not probably not going to slow down, is it? So with the 9-11 ones, we um, it's actually kind of holding steady um, the number of individuals that responded uh, to the, um, the scene and the exposure that they had. We're still seeing um, the effects of the cancers that have been um diagnosed and the impact that it's having on those. So that's kind of holding steady uh, and don't see so much of a drop as we anticipate that we'll see with COVID. You know, Glenda, I, uh, you know, one of the things that that's always moved me uh, and going to the memorial service is, uh, you know, of course, everybody has their triggers, the things that, that really kind of stand out to them. Uh, for me, it's the little kids, uh, you know, that uh, they come up and, you know, been presented a medal for their father and, and it just, uh, everything, it just did the, the whole, the whole event, you know, we, everybody has their, their emotional part, uh, connection to all of this, but, uh, you work specifically at the, at the cops hotel where all of the survivors are located to going through workshops. Um, you know, we're going to have, uh, you know, members of cops are going to explain what they do on their side in, in, a, in a different podcast, but, uh, it has to be difficult, uh, of, of, interacting with people in a, in a very, you know, this, this, at this very vulnerable time and uh, performance 
pretty good connections, I would imagine as well. Can you talk about just uh, as as someone who's a volunteer in that role, how rewarding it is, and what in your in your opinion, what does this service mean to them? I think I can say from volunteering all of the years that I've been involved, the connections that you make is at a moment in somebody's life when they're, I don't want to say it's one of the worst moments of their lives because it, it's allowing people to come together who have a common bond because of the experience that they've gone through. And it's, they're able to understand one another, kind of, of uh, be there to support one another for, um, for the tragedy that they've experienced. But at the same time, I think those bonds and that support that are being provided to that they give to each other and that we're able to witness and sometimes to be a part of is to see them be able to grow. If, if I don't know if even that's the right word, but to see them be able to find a, a positive in that moment by having that connection and that support uh, from others. And I think for me, it's being able to make a difference, even if it's a very small difference when um, during a point in time when someone is struggling um, so much to be able to give back and, and be able to be that piece of support for them. Um, most recent years, um, I was able to uh, help a spouse who was um, here by herself and was waiting for the um, escort officer that they were anticipating to arrive to be with them for the week. And being by herself, it was, you know, extremely difficult. She was going through lots of the emotions and the different things that were happening. And she was just looking for someone to, to have that connection, to, to give her that support at that moment. And it was, it was an experience that you had to have gone through to truly understand it. But it was at a moment when she when we, she walked towards the table where we were at uh, for support services. And when she walked up, it was that, it was that look that you give someone without ever having to say anything, but to know that there's a connection there. And then a hug that we shared that was probably worth more than a million dollars and said more than a million words. And, um, I've had the opportunity to see that survivor, um, again, at a following year service and um, again, there it didn't. There wasn't anything that had to be spoken. Again, it was just the seeing each other, being able to look in each other's eyes, and and give that hug. And I think it's for me that that's why I do what I do. Well, I I could tell you just uh, having having watched uh, the work that's done. I, I you know, it, it, there's some something very powerful uh, happens during Police Week. Uh, it's uh, it's families coming together and talking with people who know the struggle because it's real for them as well. Uh, finding comfort in each other, finding strength in each other and finding ways to, to take that, uh, take that tragedy and turn it into some positives in helping others. Mm -hmm. And for, and I think it's also a, a part of closure. Uh, you're reaching, yes. you're reaching a point where, uh, you know, you, the, the, the recognition of their loved one is, is here at our nation's capital on the lawn of the Capitol. In many cases with the president of the United States, 
president, certainly a lot of dignitaries. And uh, it's, I think all of it is just a, a very important part of the grieving process for, for those families. And in the work that you're your crew, your small army does. Uh, I, I'm just uh, I'm forever grateful. Uh, and I know that it comes from the heart of every one of them. I've watched it and, and repeatedly over and over and over. If someone wants to to know more about the memorial service, if they may want to be a volunteer, they, uh, if they want to, if they're interested in auxiliary, uh, starting an auxiliary within their lodges across the country, what was what would be the best way for them to make contact uh, to, to explore that option? So actually, they can go out to the um, FOP's website and underneath the auxiliary pages, there are links both to um, the memorial uh, information as well as to um, the executive boards and the trustees. And then, of course, we have the policeweek.org site that they can go to as well. And there's links there to actually um, ask questions and it will immediately get them in contact with our um, chairperson, uh, Julie Black, for the auxiliary and then our executive board contacts are on there as well. Okay. Well, Glenda, is there any final uh, parting thoughts you'd like to, uh, to offer to our viewers? I would just say that if you've never been to Police Week, I invite you to come and witness um, a service that is um, very rewarding and honoring, but also the opportunity to support um, our fellow families the sacrifices that they've made and the sacrifices that the officers have made. So I encourage them to give that serious consideration, invite them to come and attend a service, and then consider volunteering as well. With fair warning, if you come (laughs) once, you're coming back. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And to our viewers, thank you for tuning in to the the Blue View podcast, where we talk about the issues that are so vitally important to men and women who suit up and show up in communities across this country every single day. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.